have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 6 and Psalm 37. Uh, I'm going to be jumping around tonight as always, and I'll have them on the screen. But if you want to have the, the bigger portions of the text in front of you, that's where we'll be. Um, so what we have always said, or what we're continuing to say, is throughout this series, uh, which, which we've entitled Work in Progress, that every single one of us, uh, no matter where you've come from, how old you are, what your background is, you are a work in progress. And one of the things that we will say here over and over is that when you come, the goal or the, the mission behind Thursday nights is to what? It's to build you up. It's not to tear you down, but to build you up. And we want to see not just your life change, but really your whole legacy. Because when a man decides to follow Christ, you don't just get the man, you get his entire family, you get his wife, if he has a wife, you get the kids, if they have kids. Really, not just you are impacted, but your whole life, your whole family, truly, your legacy is changed. And that's how a lot of us experience this uh, type of relationship with God. And so what we have said, and, and through this whole series is this, is God is more committed to your progress than you are. He is more committed to, the prog to your progress than you are. Because what are some things that you will do with your progress? Sometimes you'll kind of give up. You'll take two steps back and you'll get discouraged and you'll just continue to take steps back and you'll just make more and more, you'll digress more and more and you won't want to make any progress, you'll feel discouraged. In this verse, we've said every single night that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He doesn't leave you where he saved you, that when Jesus saves you in your life, he meets you where you are and he helps you take one step forward as you take two steps back. He helps you take one step forward as you take two steps back. And we've uh, covered topics of anger. We've covered topics uh, about commitment and how last time we talked about how we're not strong. And as men, we want to be strong. Well, tonight we are talking about the topic of anxiety. And this idea of anxiety, I know for some of us, maybe you feel like you have been impacted by anxiety but you don't really maybe know where to categorize it. Maybe for some of you, uh, you're big faith guys and you don't even understand people with anxiety. But for some of us, when you pull up a picture like this, Andy, if you pull it up for me, you, do you see a glass half empty or a glass half full? What do you see? It's half full. Some of you said that thing's about dry. It a, it's depends on your perspective. It's how you see things. For some of you, you naturally, naturally see things that are, you're negative. Your perspective is always, this is not going to turn out well. Your perspective on certain situations or people or, or family members is, hey, this probably won't end well. And what is, what, what is anxiety at its root? Anxiety, uh, Andy, if you'd pull up that slide for me, anxiety, at its, it's rooted in believing the worst about God people and a situation it's just assuming the worst you look at our situation in the world right now and what's uh what's going on uh just in our country and rightfully so you will say this is not a good situation you look at someone you know uh who's made some bad choices and you will say this is not going to end well you'll look at your own life maybe your financial situation or some bad decisions you've made and you're just, maybe you don't have the feeling of anxiety, but you have the perspective of anxiety. You assume the worst. You assume that God cannot redeem your situation or the circumstance you're in. 
you like to say this simple phrase, I knew this would happen. I knew she was going to make that decision. I knew he wouldn't listen to me. I knew that this is what they were going to do. And why? Why, are you, why do you have a, a glass half empty perspective some of the times? You have been burned. Amen. You have been burned. You have experienced some things where you just don't want to, you don't want to trust people that much. You, you have the perspective. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, love believes all things, hopes all things. But after some time, you just lose some hope. You lose the, the, the optimism that maybe God has designed us and wanted us to have in Christ. So you'll look at a situation and you'll want to say, I knew this would happen. I knew that they would not follow through. I knew my manager was that type of person. I knew that they would respond that way when I shared the gospel with them. I knew that this was going to happen. And I believe, I believe that the devil has a heyday on us when we have this kind of perspective. It is a festing ground where some of us have, we have embedded in our hearts and minds an anxious perspective to where we almost paralyze ourselves and we won't allow ourselves to view something with a God lens. Seeing something that God can redeem, that God can change, that he can, he can soften. And that's the first point I have in your guys' handout is this. The enemy has a plan for your anxiety. The enemy has a plan for your anxiety. It's in 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. Why would, why would Paul tell us to cast our anxieties on him? Because a lot of us would, instead of casting them, what would we like to do? We want to carry them. I have about 75 pounds of rocks in this backpack. It is actually starting to get kind of heavy. But I started out tonight because can I carry the backpack? Yeah, you're right, I can. I'm 27 years old. I'll run a mile in this thing if I had to. Right? I, I can carry this. I can hang on to this. And it's actually not too bad. If I, if I hold it right, if I position it right, I can carry any anxiety you put on me, right? If we wanted to load it up and put another 25 pounds, I can, I can hold it. I'm strong. I got this. And what is so damaging about carrying anxiety? Because after a while, it just starts to weigh you down. But initially, it is so subtle, it doesn't feel like a burden. It doesn't start out that way. I just won't say anything anymore. I just know they're, they're always like that. I knew, I knew that she would respond that way, so it just isn't, it isn't even worth bringing up anymore. I knew, I knew that when I brought that up to my boss or to my manager that they would have said that, and that's why I don't say anything. And then you carry an anxiety believing the worst about someone, and Peter says to cast your anxieties on him. And what is his reasoning behind it? Because the devil prowls around like a lion seeking someone to devour. He wants to find your faith issue that is connected with anxiety, and he wants to add to it. 
He wants to pile it up. He wants to pile it up. He would love to take your pessimistic, rightly so perspective and say, hey, just stay right there and just carry it. Just carry it. And once you start to carry anxieties, the crazy thing is it starts to get comfortable. It just starts to feel right. It just starts to feel like this is, this is where I've, this is what I've always carried. I've always had these types of burdens. I've always viewed things from this lens. I've always viewed that, and, and here's where this series connects for us. You've always viewed that you would never change, that you could never make progress, that people like you don't take steps forward like other people do. And you start to believe the lie, and you're like, it's no longer anxiety. It's just, it's cemented into me. And Peter says to cast our anxieties. I'm not going to throw this. I thought about throwing it at Craig tonight. But anyway, that you would cast this. Truly, the perspective is like a net that you would cast it. He says, cast your anxieties on him because why? What's it say? He cares for you. That God cares about your anxieties, no matter how big or how small. And some of us, you're, you would be embarrassed about the anxiety you carry because it seems so small. It seems so minor to you. And then it starts to build and build. And I believe the enemy has plans for your anxiety. He, he has plans. He attacks your mind. It says in Ephesians 4, 17, that we would put off the old self and, and don't live as the Gentiles do with the futility of their mind. That there's a way of thinking that believing a situation is unfixable. You just, it's just rooted in you. You just believe the worst, that God could never change them and God could never change you. And he has a heyday on our minds. It's a thinking pattern. It truly talks about how uh, uh, brain surgeons will really say that you create neuropathways. It's the same way like this. If you walk out your front, uh, your front door and you get the mail every single day and you take the same path, what starts to happen? There's, there's a pathway there that you, you know, then eventually the grass is no longer grass, it's what? It's dirt. That if you walk on the same path every single day, multiple times a day, it'll start to create its own pathway. And our brains work the same way. That when you start to think a certain way, it just becomes a reality. You start to have a perspective and the devil will look at it and say, that's exactly what I want them to do. I want them to carry their anxieties and believe that situations are not fixable and that God can't redeem them. And that's how the devil attacks our anxiety. Number two in your handout, some people, some people have plans or have a plan for your anxiety. Um, the way that I have said this before, I've talked about this in other circles, there are some people that are just relational vampires. That's what I call them. They suck the life out of you. You know what I'm talking about? Right? Just give me a nod, right? Some people, you, you were around them at Easter, and when you saw them, you started to sweat, right? And you were just like, if they bring it up, if they bring it up, and, and you will, they will cause this. And this is what it says in Psalm 37. This is so practical. Fret not. Worry not. Be anxious not, in some translations, yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like grass. Here's what he is saying. There are some people that you have seen do things that are wrong. They don't work that hard. 
uh, they, they get away with certain things. They really, there should be some justice in their life. It's a family member. They hadn't paid their taxes the right way the last 10 years, and you're the only one who knows, right? There's certain things that you'll see, and what he is saying, don't worry about things that you are not the solution for, that God will take care of it. And this is what he says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. There are some people that you have in your life that cause anxiety for you. It is someone, I mean, for me, if if it was a neighbor, a literal neighbor next door, I thought the guy was going to sue me because I had some grass that blew on his lawn one time because the wind was blowing. I didn't know what to do, right? There's just some people, that's a true story, somewhat, uh, they just cause anxiety. When you see them, you're, you get anxious. You start to cover your tracks. You think you're being watched all the time, and someone, they're listening all the time on your phone. You're like, you're, you're anxious about it. And there are some people, and, and here's what I, I believe happens. You and I give grounds to people by choice. We allow them to consume us. We allow them to keep us up. You're up at 1 o'clock in the morning just consumed at what they might do or might say, and they're sleeping like a baby. And you're consumed by it. And some people, whether they know it or not, they're just professionals at causing stress and anxiety for you. You feel like it's what they do. And, And here's what this psalm teaches. Fret not because of evildoers. Be not envious of them. They will fade like grass. God will take care of it. It goes on to say in verse uh, 7, it says this, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. When I would like to be the solution, when I would like to white-knuckle this situation, confront and fix, Psalm 37 says, why don't you let the Lord handle it? Why Why don't you let me be the Holy Spirit, and you be Michael. You do a good job at being Michael. You do ter- you're do. you a terrible Holy Spirit. Why don't, le- why don't you let me handle this? Fret not yourself over those who prosper in, prospers in the way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Here's what's so relevant about this psalm. We would not like to admit it, but someone that you don't like who would be considered maybe an enemy or someone who's done wrong to you, There is a piece of us that enjoys when they fail. I won't even, I mean, I I wish it didn't exist in me. There's a piece of me, the sinful side of me, that when someone else fails, when someone else does wrong, or they get what was coming to them, I think, good. They earned that. They had it coming to them. Why would, he's saying this because there's an aspect of us, he's asking God the question, why would you bless someone who doesn't honor you like I honor you. They, don't, they haven't followed you as long as I've followed you. It seems like everything works for them. It seems like life is easier for them. And, and what this psalm is pushing, he's saying, hey, instead of thinking about how you would attack them, right? You're in your car having imaginary arguments with them and how you would win for some of you, right? You're just consumed by them and what that conversation would look like. And you'd hit the punchline and you'd win the argument, you know? He's saying, fret not, fret not. Goes on to say this, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. 
fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoer shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. He gives six things for us to do in this passage. He says to trust, do good, delight, commit. Andy, would you pull it up for me? Be still and wait. Those are my marching orders when it comes to other people causing anxiety for me. Other people causing me to believe things that are not true. That this is a problem with our anxiety. It's not even, we'll talk about this in a second, it's not even reality. It's not even true. But we've put ourselves in a situation believing someone, and he says this, hey, why don't we just trust God? I mean, he's, he's got everything figured out. It seems like he's been doing a good job at being God. Why don't we trust him? We would do good, it should say, that we would do what we're called to do, that we would say, hey, it, it, it's always my turn, that I'm not waiting for someone else uh, to do something that I should do, that I would delight myself in God, I would commit to God, I would be still, Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Just be still. If I had the ability to pause, to pause, and think about what's going on, to step back. Why am I anxious about this? Why do I believe? Why do I believe that God is not in control in this situation? I've allowed my mind to be convinced that God fixes situations. He redeems people. He redeems the impossible, but not in my situation. Not with me. We've told ourselves over and over again lies, that the devil is the father of lies that he feeds. It says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, it says, Do not be outwitted by Satan or be ignorant of his schemes. That you wouldn't be ignorant of his design. Ignorant, to not know. Don't be dumb. Don't be passive with it. Be active toward it. That he's after us. That he's after your mind. He's telling you lies and he's feeding that. So we talked about how the the enemy has plans for our anxiety, that people have plans for our anxiety, and I want to talk about how God gives us a solution to our anxiety, that he gives us things that we can practically do, that for some of us, it's not just saying the phrase, well, I'm going to trust God in this situation. He actually gives us things that we can put into practice every single day, because what we've said at the start of this series is this, we don't want to just think differently about our about our progress we don't just want to have big shrek heads and we want to think we want to have a lot of bible knowledge but we want to put it into practice we want to change we want to have progress and so god gives uh three solutions here number one is be thankful be thankful says philippians 4 6 and 7 do not be anxious about anything But in what? What's it say? Everything. Let's try it again. But in what? Everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understandings will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Here's what's true about anxiety. Not all anxiety is is bad. Not all anxiety is bad. It says in 2 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul says, I had the anxiety for all of the churches, for his concern for people to follow God, that he was anxious about that. But it determines where your anxiety is directed. 
what it's faced as, why that emotion, why that perspective. And here's what he says. Instead of complaining about the person, instead of complaining about the situation, even though you could, you easily could, how about you thank God that you have that situation to handle? How about you thank God that you have this one son or daughter that you're dealing with this situation that you can pray for? How about asking God, God, thank you for the job that I'm in, but would you, would you help me to have a different perspective toward this individual I'm working with? God, would you change my perspective? Thank you that I have an issue to deal with. Thank you that I have this problem that I need to solve. I would rather have this person or this situation in my life than not having any, th- any of these people or these types of things in my life. Thank you, God. Thank you that you've given me this situation to handle because afterwards, afterwards, I'm going to be able to help someone else in a similar spot. Would you give me wisdom? In Alaska, if any of you have been there, I have not, but I found this sign. Uh, if you'd pull it up for me, it says to choose your rut carefully. You'll be in it for the next 60 miles. That's incredible. That, I mean, that is absolutely incredible. And I was going to, you can cross that out. And if uh, it would say, that, I think a similar one or for one us to apply, it would say, choose your rut carefully because you'll be in it for the next 60 years. Choose the rut that you start to think about something carefully because you'll be in it for a while. Because what does anxiety do? It puts us in a spot of saying, hey, I know that God can do this. I know that I could make some better choices. I know that I could get some help here. But guess what? This is just, this is just my cross to bear. I'm an anxious person. I just started to believe that way. And here is the question I want us to think about. And I think that this one might be maybe most practical. I am teaching my view about God to others unknowingly, unknowingly, I will, I will shed the light on my perspective of God to someone else. Um, I've asked uh, Zeddy, would you come up here again with me uh, and help me with this? Because he helped me with the last one. So if I have this, which is just a ton of rocks here, and Zeddy will ask me a question and maybe say, hey, how are you doing? How are things going? Unknowingly, I will start to tell him, man, you won't believe You won't believe what I'm going through. You won't believe the situation God put me in. It's kind of heavy, ain't it? Yeah, hey, would you just, and I'm not even, I'm not asking you to hold on, I'm not asking you to carry this burden, but this is the kind of God that I serve. This is the kind of situation that God put me in. I don't know what to do. Unknowingly, I'm asking him to carry my burden or my perspective of of God and what I think about situations, and I'll just kind of leave him there with that. A lot of us have taught our kids to think a certain way, our spouse to think a certain way, the people we work with to think a certain way. As we are losing our minds about God not being in control, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how God can fix this situation. We'll see. And then we just leave it. And that type of thinking we will transfer to someone else. Thank you, Zeddy. I know that's pretty heavy. Give it up for Zeddy. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> we'll, we'll ask someone and we'll say, I- I'm teaching my view of God. 
I'm te- and, and, and I'm not, hear, hear, me, hear me correctly, I'm not saying you can't open up. I'm not saying you can't complain. I'm not saying you can't be yourself. I'm saying when you start to tell someone about a situation, when you start to tell someone about how you view uh, politics or what's going to happen to the church or what's going to happen here, instead of looking at the worst possible situation, change it to, hey, I'm pretty thankful that this is an opportunity that's going to make God look pretty awesome. I'm pretty thankful that this is an opportunity for God to cause revival in America. I'm pretty thankful that this is an opportunity for God to do something where someone is going to have to look at it and say, only God could do that. I'm thankful that I'm in that type of situation. To change how we communicate our view of what God is going to do and what he could do. Choose your rut carefully because you will be in it for the next 60 miles. Choose your way of thinking carefully because you will be in it for a very long time. And it takes work. It doesn't just change overnight. It takes time. That's the first solution. The second solution is this. Look at reality. It says in Philippians 4, 6, it goes on to say in verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, it should say, or whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things and what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of what? Peace will be with you. Not the God of anxiety, not the God of chaos, not the God of disorder. And, and we would know as we were talking about the enemy, he's always the ultimate counterfeit, right? He always brings lies. He doesn't honor God. He does things that are unjust. He's definitely not pure. He doesn't love. He doesn't give praise where it is due. Um, he gives praise to himself, and he tries to distract us off of the God of peace. He's a counterfeit. He's always trying to do these things. He's saying, look at what is true. And a lot of our anxiety or our perspective, and even my own, would be solved if I looked at what was actually happening. What is actually taking place here? Instead of seeing the worst in something, assuming the worst, covering all my bases, I put myself in, hey, you know what? This is actually taking place. I'm going to believe the best about this situation. I'm not going to be naive, but I'm going to believe the best about God, and I'm going to believe the best about what's actually true right now. They didn't make this decision yet. They didn't say this yet. She didn't make this call yet. I'm going to ask God, hey, whatever is true, I'm going to think about that. Because when you can think on what is true, you now have the ability to sleep with peace and give it to God. God, I commit this to you. I trust this. I trust you with this. I trust that you are wiser than me. I trust that you've handled harder situations than I'm probably in. I trust that you have been more gracious with men like me over the past years than I probably think you need to be. God, I trust you with this. And number three, trust his providence in the past and the present. We talked about being thankful. We talked about looking at reality, what's true. And I want to talk about looking at his providence in the past and the present. It says this in Matthew 6. 25 to 34. 
do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? I love what Jesus says. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father, what? Feeds them. Look at the birds. It seems so elementary. It's just like, hey, look at the birds as they're flying over Jesus' head. I could imagine. Don't you matter more than them? Look, look at the birds. They're fine. If the birds are going to be fine, he's going to take care of you. And he says, are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. I've never driven by flowers and been like, man, God has got them flowers on lock. He's just taking care of them flowers. Look at them. I've never done that. I don't think I ever will. But he says, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And here's where the issue of anxiety lies. O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? Verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day of its own trouble. He's saying you could be anxious about a lot of things if you want. You could be anxious about uh, the next generation. You could be anxious about the next day. You can be anxious about the next deal, about the next decision, about the next family situation. You can be anxious about a lot of things. And he says, hey, how about you just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll take care of the rest. There's enough to be anxious about. And he says, let creation preach to you. Let what God has done. And he brings up how he's taking care of us. And that's why I say, his providence in the past and the present. Sometimes with anxiety, looking back helps you to realize, hey, God, God knows, he knows what he's doing. You look back over, I look over the past, past five years, I'm like, he's got it under control. I look over the past couple months, I'm like, he knows exactly what he's doing. And the moment, the moment I start to act like he's not, I wonder what God's thinking like, Man, I've been, I've been working in your life since day one. I brought you where you are. Why would you doubt? Oh, you have little faith. And I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. It says this, God is too good to be unkind, and he is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. We must trust his heart. And for some of us, when we think about trusting God, we think about big in the sky, massive God, under control, doing his thing, and it's hard for us to personalize him. But when you think of trusting his heart, thinking about God's motives, thinking about his motive in your life and what he's done in your life, his heart as a loving father would take care of their son or daughter. Think about your heart for your kids. Think about your heart that you have for them. If we can't trace his hand, If we can't figure out what he's doing, if we think he's been mistaken, we must trust his heart. 
the providence of God, that he will provide. Think of Abraham and Isaac. In Genesis 22, they started to head up the mountain. Think of the anxiety that Abraham would have. Think of the anxiety Isaac would have when he is told by God to sacrifice his one and only son. Think of the doubt in his mind when he is told to put him on the altar, to sacrifice something he loved more than anything else in in his life at that point, had waited years for the promise, the doubt in his mind. With the knife in his hand, what does God do? He provides. And afterwards, I wonder what Abraham would say. I was so anxious. I was so fearful. I was so driven by what God was not going to do that I myself found myself not believing the best about God. And then after the fact, having the correct perspective about him. We must trust his heart. I'm going to give you guys 15 or 20 minutes with your questions. I'll give you a a two or three minute warning break off and then we'll come back together at the end. Well, hopefully you guys had some good conversation uh, in your in your tables and talks about these discuss these discussion questions. Um, I honestly did not know uh, that I was an anxious person. I didn't even know where to categorize that till someone I'd been talking to who was a little bit older and wiser. He kind of looked at me. He's like, what are you so anxious about? I ain't anxious. Just cover my bases. You know, I felt uh, the things that I was most anxious about uh, was getting married. I was just losing my mind, so scared of getting married. It was the biggest, you know, step of my life. Now looking back, it was like the second best decision aside from trusting Christ that I ever made. Making a career change, I was so anxious about it. Oh my gosh, what is going to happen? And it was one of the best decisions I had ever made, following what God wanted me to do. Last night, we were, our, our college group meets on Wednesday night. We were out here, and we were playing ultimate frisbee outside before we had come in and start the service. And as uh, these two girls, I watched the whole thing happen. They, they went to pull into the parking lot, and they pulled in, and there was a car behind them that just started letting them have it. I mean, cussing at them, screaming at them, the whole deal. And honestly, my thought was, okay, she probably wasn't driving right. Okay, so I went over to, hey, hey what happened? Or what did they say? I didn't hear exactly what they said. And she said, and two girls, they were 19 years old, they were pulling into church, and, they, and she went on to say, well, they just saw us pulling into church, and they were cussing us out, saying, why are you going to that place? And I started, like, I was like, What's, where are they at? Like, I was like, you know, I was ready to fight. <laughs> and I was, I started to get, I started to get anxious about it, and I'm like, well, did you know them? She's like, no, they just saw us pulled in and cussing at, cussing at us for going to church. And I started to think, I'm like, man, that's never happened to me. And I just started to think of the environment we're in, the society we're literally just pulling in the driveway. That's it. They didn't do anything. She said, I wasn't over the speed limit. I didn't do anything wrong. He was cussing at us for going to church. And I, and, and my natural thinking was like, you know, hey, we're in trouble. I was like, we're in, we're in, this is, this is, this is, you know, the, the start of, you know, I'm thinking all these worst case scenarios. Instead of thinking like, man, look how easy it is to stand out and to be a light for Christ. You just got to show up. I mean, it ain't even that. I mean, just pull in the driveway and you are just a city <laughs> on a hill, right? And, and for me, as I started thinking through these, 
these questions for me. Naturally, maybe a, a, ha- a glass half full kind of guy, I can pass on anxiety to others really easy, and I d- hadn't even really thought about it much before, but w- I want to make sure that you guys know this, that hopefully these conversations or these points don't like just discourage you. That's not the goal, that you would just beat yourself up and how terrible you're doing, or you pass this on, or maybe you think your grandkids, you're thinking of the legacy you're leaving, you're thinking of the people that you influence and impact, but for you to say, hey, I probably could get better at communicating my view of God. I probably could get better. I know for me, communicating to my wife the reality in a situation and what what God could do. And uh, I'm reminded of the story when Peter was walking on water in Matthew 14, when he was walking on the water and Jesus, he said, command me to come to you. He said, come. He walks on water. And it was right when the waves started to pick up and Peter lost his what? His focus. He started to see the waves and that's when he would start to sink. And he starts to, right, just like us, start to lose his mind. And Jesus comes over, over to him and says, oh, you of little faith, just like in Matthew 6, why do you doubt? Why would you doubt? Why would you lose focus of what you're looking at that we would fix our eyes on Jesus? Because when we do, anxiety almost seems impossible. How good he's been, how faithful he's been, how kind God has been to you and I, how patient he's been to us. It's, it's almost impo- It seems irrational to be anxious when I look at God in all the ways that he's blessed us. How I want to close out tonight, uh, we had 12 baptisms this past Sunday, and a lot of you uh, saw some of these videos, but I'm just going to show one tonight. Um, Andy Owens, uh, he's been coming for a couple weeks now. Uh, he's 24 years old. Him and I went to high school together. Some of you were in the auditorium when he got baptized, but I want to show you his video, and then I'll, I'll come up afterwards and close us out. My name's Andrew Owens. I'm 24 years old, and I'm from Argyle, Ohio. My family's always uh, had a Christian background. They, My mom and dad never really forced Christianity on me. They kind of let me decide for myself where I wanted to go in life. But it's always been been my back, kind of the background. But I was kind of living for myself for quite a long time, and um, I was feeling pretty heavy convictions, and uh, just like I needed to, to change my ways. And I prayed to God that he would give me the strength to uh, to overcome the things that I was facing in my life. I was scrolling through Instagram one day and I wasn't exactly looking for sermons or anything like that. And Thrive came up. It was, uh, I think it was just a Thrive profile. And I saw that they did podcasts. I listened to one of the podcasts and uh, the, the voice just sounded really familiar to me. And I realized that it was, it was you, um, Mike. And I reached out to you and just let you know that I heard you on the podcast and whatnot, and you had invited me just to get some food. Uh, and going into that, I figured it was just going to be a, a casual experience, and I ended up just completely opening myself up to you. And not being that kind of person, I knew God was working through me in that sense. You asked me if I had ever pro- professed my faith to Christ before, and I wasn't exactly sure. Um, I had believed, or I do believe that, God was working in me and giving me the strength to overcome these things, but I still didn't feel forgiven, and I didn't really understand that forgiveness. You kind of brought up a few verses within the Bible, and you invited me to do that tonight and to profess my faith in Christ. 
and there was just a voice in my head that said, you better, you know, you need to do this now, because myself, I would have, I would have never felt comfortable to, to open myself up like that, it was definitely, it's definitely a, it's kind of ugly, it was like the first prayer you give, it wasn't very smooth, and, uh, you know, I just, I, I professed my faith in Christ, and it was in that moment, it was like, I understood what forgiveness was, and what the cross represented, and what Jesus dying on the cross really represented and meant, and I felt forgiven. I just, it was like a weight was dropped off my shoulders. I really think um, it was afterwards, after I had given myself to Christ, that I started to realize that it was just by grace that I was saved, and that it wasn't anything that I could have done, and it wasn't the work of me or anybody else, and that it was just, I mean, it was by God's grace that gave me faith in being saved. Being baptized, it's, it's definitely just a testimony of my faith and um, to show others, you know, that the, the will of God is righteous and He is graceful and that He can give anybody faith. My name is Andrew Owens and I have trusted in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Yeah, let's give it up for Andrew. <clears throat> and I'll tell you what I am not anxious about. That God is doing that in people's lives every single day. That he is saving, he is reaching out, and he is ministering to people. And guys, just like Andy and people that you know that need to trust Christ as Savior and that will during this time, I know that we've read the end of the story, right? We know how all this plays out. We know how lives will play out. And we shouldn't be anxious about any of that because we know that we have read the end of the book and it ends well for those who follow Christ. Would you guys stand with me tonight? I would like to finish with all of us um, reading uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I don't know if it just went blank for us, Andy, or if you can pull it up. Um, so we are all going to read this together, uh, not just me, but I will start us off. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Let me pray for you guys. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the men who are here tonight. I thank you for just their lives and everything they have going on and them deciding to be here and making that choice. I pray that you would bless them. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would encourage them. I pray that you would help us, all of us, to be men who trust you, that we would acknowledge that you are in control and we are not that, Lord, we would be faithful to what you've called us to do, that we would be still, that we would wait patiently for you, and, God, that we would not be ignorant that the devil is attacking us and after our, our families and our marriages and our lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us to resist and flee and submit to you. God, would you help us just be the men you've called us to be in our workplaces, in our families, and in our neighborhoods. God, would you change our lives individually, and in turn, would we leave a legacy that's honoring to Christ? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.